Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Last couple of weeks, I've mentioned it being springtime and just being excited about springtime. And it's really not that spring is my favorite season. It's not. I just really enjoy when the seasons change. Any anytime you know we kind of transfer from one season into another, it's it's exciting. I love it. I love the changing of seasons in fall when we start getting the first few you know flakes of snow, and I get excited about that too. But then you sometimes hit a point where you're just ready to move on to the next thing, right? So I get excited when snow starts falling. You know, you start all of a sudden like instantly Christmas songs are going in your head. I get excited about that. But you get to a point where you're ready to just move on, let let the sun start getting warm and flowers start growing and all those kinds of things. You're done cleaning off your car and shoveling snow and all of that. A few years ago, we had some snow and our our car, where we park it out in front of our house in the street, was stuck. So we park in the street, and they, they'll plow the street. But where we were, because the car was there, obviously, there was still snow and ice underneath it. It was my, my wife's car, and so she was going to go someplace. She went to get in the car, but it was, it was stuck in the snow. So I went out, and I thought, you know, it just needed to go like a foot or so. That the, the clean pavement's like right there. Just need to move it a few inches, let it get some traction, and then off she would go. So I'll just... You know, I'll just push a little bit on the car and she'll be in the driver's seat. And we'll just get it just moving a little bit, a little bit of momentum and she'll be out of the snow. So uh, that's what we start doing. And I'm, I'm pushing on this car and it's, it's not moving at all. We're, it's kind of a slight incline in front of our house, nothing too steep, but the tires are just spinning. I'm pushing. I'm giving it everything I have. I'm ready for stuff to start like rupturing and popping. I mean, I'm just, I'm pushing as hard as I possibly can. And finally it becomes clear. I I just don't have it. I I don't have the ability to get this vehicle to move at all. So we're going to have to come up with another plan. And so I walk uh, up to the the window where my wife's been sitting and, you know, she rolls the window down and she's crying. What what in the world? What's, what's the matter? And she said, it's your face, your face. She, she could see my face in the rear view mirror. And she said, you were trying so hard. I won't even try to replicate the face I was making, but I was, I was trying, I was giving it everything I had. And apparently it was just so pathetic. I was trying so hard, trying so hard and unable to get that thing to move an inch that my wife found it pathetic to the point where it reduced her to reduced her to tears. It's, it's not a good feeling when there's a challenge, an obstacle, something that you're up against, and you don't have the strength to handle the challenge that's in front of you, right? It's not a good feeling to know I don't have what it takes to overcome this hurdle, to meet, meet this trial. On the other end of the spectrum, when you are up against the challenge and you've got the strength, that's a great feeling, isn't it? Sometimes there's challenges around our house that I do have what it takes, Sometimes there'll be a jar at our house that no one in our entire family can open. My wife can't open it. None of our daughters can open it. You know what they do? They bring it to me. And sometimes I can open it. And other times it becomes a donation for a food pantry because good luck. 
But when, I, when I'm able to do, I've got the strength to meet a challenge like that. And it, it, it's silly, but guys, it, it really does feel good, right? When you pop that jelly jar open, anything else? It's, it's an incredible feeling when, you, when you've got the strength to meet a challenge. Not only that, you're able to, other people can bring you their problems. Here's what I'm dealing with. It's just a jar, but I know you've got the strength. That is an incredible, wonderful feeling to have the strength adequate for the challenge that you can meet that challenge and you are the victor over what you were up against, right? Now, listen, life has challenges that are far more significant than jelly jars and getting minivans out of snowdrifts, right? Life is full of challenges. All of us have them. Some some of us maybe are in them right now, that there's way more on the line than just being able to drive our car where we want to go that moment or, you know, spread some jelly on on toast. There's huge things online, people's people's destinies, people's families, whether they make impact the way they're supposed to make impact or not. Tremendous amount on the line in some people's situation, whether they'll leave the legacy God wants them to leave whether they'll have the career, whether they'll have the marriage, whether they'll be the parent. There's a lot on the line. And some people will meet those kinds of challenges that come against them in life. Some people will face those kinds of trials and temptations and they will succeed and it'll feel wonderful. But others will meet those kinds of obstacles, encounter those kinds of challenges, and they will fail. And the difference between the two people is the level of their strength. Whether they have the strength to meet that challenge or they don't have the strength to meet that challenge. The, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to know Jesus, right? It's, a, it's important that we're supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. We've got to accept Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're supposed to repent of our sins. We're suppo- supposed to accept Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, follow, follow him. Jesus said he's going to heaven to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we could be there, we could be there also. It's important that we know Jesus. We're supposed to be saved. We're supposed to know him and follow him. But that's not the only instruction that the Bible gives us. We're not just supposed to be Christians and that's it. The Bible gives us other instructions. One of those is to be strong, to be strong. Ephesians 6.10 says to be strong in the Lord. Sometimes we just focus on being in the Lord and we forget about the being strong part. And it's important for us to be in the Lord, but if I'm just in the Lord, but I'm not strong in the Lord, then I really haven't followed that instruction. And as you read through the Bible, there over and over and over and over again, people receive the instruction to be strong. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six, Joshua chapter one, multiple times. I searched it this week. It, it's, it's all through the Bible, the instruction to be strong in the Lord. So we've got a lot of people that have come to know the Lord. That is wonderful. But it's a problem when you've got a bunch of Christians, but they're not very strong Christians. When you've got weak Christians, that when we encounter challenges and difficulties, we don't have what it takes to meet those challenges. So again, it's not just about being in the Lord. That's huge. That's the first part of it. I'm not trying to undermine that or belittle that at all, but we're supposed to be strong in the Lord. We need to get stronger. Just, Just as the body of Christ, as men and women of God, we've got some growing to do. We need to be to be stronger. So in this series, we're going to talk about just some basic things, just some basics of growing stronger in, in the Lord. So if you're a new believer, just been serving the Lord maybe a week, 
a month, six months, this is going to be a great series for you because you're going to learn some basics of how do I grow in, in the Lord. But I know a lot of us have been serving the Lord for a long time, and I don't want to lose you. And sometimes we can make the mistake that we, we, we go beyond the basics, and we're mature. We've been serving the Lord for like decades. We're on to the, the deeper realms. But that's really not the way it works because it's, it's just building on the basics. So People that are new in the faith, they've got room to grow, but all of us have room to grow. We, we can all grow. All of us need to grow, grow stronger. And when you compare it to growing stronger in the physical realm, because it's almost as if the same God created both the spiritual realm and, and the physical realm, the parallels, the parallels that are, are there, how does somebody get healthier and stronger physically? Well, if you're just, you know, a slob on the couch and you decide that you're going to start getting fit, what, what two things are you going to need to start paying attention to? Well, you know what? You're going to need to start paying attention to your diet and exercise, right? Do you know that when people that are at elite athlete level, the two things they pay attention to? Diet and, and exercise. It's not that they've moved into some realm that they've left those things behind. They've just become consistent with the basics. They've gained mastery of, of the basics. They haven't handled the basics and then moved on to other things. But in the spiritual realm, sometimes we, we wanna, we, we've dealt with the basics. Now let's go on to something different. No, you've gotta become consistent with the basics. Gain mastery, gain mastery of the basics. We need to grow stronger. Let, let me read to you from Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, if you faint, or some translations say, if you fail, if you fail, if you don't succeed, if you faint in the day of adversity, that that means in a day of challenge, in a day of trouble, in a day of trial, then it brings a revelation of something. If you fail when you're up against a challenge, when an obstacle, when a temptation, when a trial comes into your life and you faint or you fail, then it's actually a moment of revelation. What, what does it reveal? If you faint in the day of adversity, it reveals something what? Your strength, your strength is small. That's just the Bible's polite way of saying you're weak, right? If you've got really small, you've got strength, it's just really, really small, you're, you're weak, right? That's what, that's what they're saying. You need, you need to grow stronger. So when adversity comes, really it's like, it's like a diagnostic in our lives. It helps us to diagnose and reveal and get an understanding of where, where we are. If you faint in the day of adversity, if you fail when things are adverse, your strength, your strength is small. So adversity or trial can be a variety of things. Right? It can be different in all of our lives. So for some people, what, what is a challenge, what is a difficult thing, what is a strong temptation that might make them fail, it's, it, it's not that for others. For some people, being out to dinner and being offered alcohol, that, that might be a moment of adversity or trial that's going to reveal their level of strength. Right? For some people, it might be you're, you're out of town and you gain the attention of someone of the opposite sex. That might be a moment of trial. Right? For other people, it might be, it might be uh, financial integrity and honesty, how you deal with your money. It can be a wide, a wide variety of things, but again, it's a, it's a moment of it verifies your strength or the, the lack of strength in our lives, these challenges. And again, that's consistent in the Bible. 
When challenges come, it brings revelation. It reveals your level of strength or your level of weakness. Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus talks about the two men that are building homes, they're doing a construction project, and a storm comes, and it affects both of the houses, but one has been built. It reveals, right? One has been built on a sure foundation. The other is built on sand. One, it destroys. The other, it it reveals its level of strength, that a storm can come, and it doesn't destroy me. I keep standing strong. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, that he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to build my church. Well, that, that brings revelation to us, right? That when things destroy, when the gates of hell are able to prevail, that brings revelation. Jesus said, when I build something, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you see the gates of hell prevailing in an area, what do you know? It reveals something. You with me? Jesus didn't build that. Jesus said, what I build, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. When you see the gates of hell, it it reveals. I built this myself. Those men built that themselves. If Jesus was the one constructing, it's what it says in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. So these trials, difficult times, days of adversity, they bring revelation. They are a verification system for our level of strength that we have in our lives. These last 12 months have been days of adversity. Correct? I mean, all kinds of weird challenges that have come in the last 12 months or so. Challenges and trials and difficulties, things we've never even heard of. We've never been through this kind of stuff before. All kinds of adversity has come to, to the world in the last year or, or so. Again, things we, we've never, never had to deal with before. Now, we talk about just the church, the health, the strength of the church, not just our church, but the, the church. It's an opportunity for revelation, right? Adversity has come. It's, it's going to reveal a level of strength. So I think that you can look at, at leadership and get an idea of the health of, of the body, right? There, there's... It's, not fail-proof, but by and large, just generally speaking, when you look at the church, we'll say in the United States, you can kind of look at leadership, look at pastors, look at different people in key roles, and see how they're, they're living, the decisions they're making, and get some general understanding of the health of, of the body as a whole, right? You with me? That's, that's fair. So these last 12 months, there's been churches that have, have closed down. Some never to reopen again. Some were closed for, for over a year. There's been people in leadership positions in the church that have made confusing, strange decisions. There's been uh, churches that have caved to political or social pressure. All kinds of, of, of things happening that you're not sure all the details. You know it's not right. I'm not saying this to bash. I'm not saying this to come down on people. I'm trying to use a verification system that God has given us. When adversity comes and you see people crumbling, you see things not going the right way, it reveals something that the body of Christ needs to be stronger. If you fail in days of adversity, it lets you know your strength is too small. You've got a problem. You need, to, you need to concentrate and be intentional on growing your strength so that you can succeed the next time. And so I'm not, I'm not saying those things to point fingers or, or to blame. I'm saying as a verification system that God has given us, we need to be stronger. As, as followers of Jesus, as the body of Christ, we need to grow stronger. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 20. 
We won't take time to read this whole story, but I just wanna share this to make the point that if we think because 2020 is behind us, hard times are behind us, we're foolish. If we've got some kind of moment to catch our breath a little bit, it's just to get geared up for the next challenge that's ahead. Listen to what happened in the nation of Israel, 1 Kings chapter 20. Syria comes against Israel. I'll start reading in verse 19. It says, but Ahab's provincial commanders and the entire army had come out to fight. Verse 20, each Israelite soldier killed his Aramean or Syrian, depending on your translation, opponent. And suddenly the entire Aramean army panicked and fled. The Israelites chased them, but King Ben-Hadad and a few of his charioteers escaped on horses. However, the king of Israel destroyed the other horses and charioteers and slaughtered the Arameans. Afterward, the prophet said to King Ahab, go get ready for another attack. Begin making plans now for the king of Aram will come back next spring. They won this incredible victory. And then God speaks through a prophet. I like the new King James translation. It says, strengthen yourself. It wasn't time just to lay back. Hey, we won. We were victorious. A challenge came and we made it through in that relief. After the challenge, the word of God was now you need to get stronger. Your focus needs to be strengthen yourself because there's another challenge, another challenge coming. And I'm not saying that to to be heavy handed or to cause fear or to get us to worry. When we're strong, you can actually find yourself looking forward to challenges. In fact, Psalm 19 says that the strong man rejoices to run his, run his race. Even though it's a challenge, because he's strong, he looks forward to it, right? When you know that you are equipped and you are able, you want the test to come. You, you want the inspection. Go ahead, check it out. Go ahead, you, try, try, try me, try me, right? When you, when you know you've got what it takes. So it's not about becoming afraid, oh, there's, there's more tough days coming. No, it's strengthening ourselves so we, we don't have to worry about it because it feels, it feels good when you're challenged and you're able to crack that lid right off the jar, right? You want to strut around, say more jars, please. So that, that's a, a silly small example, but it's the same mindset and it's the same feeling when the enemy brings attacks and you, you're able to walk in victory. You are an overcomer and you're able just to strut around and give God praise, but it doesn't happen unless we strengthen ourselves. We've got to strengthen ourselves. You've got to be intentional. Again, looking at people in the physical realm, when you see somebody who's in very good shape, don't look at anyone in the, keep your eyes, keep your eyes on me, on someone who's not in shape. When you see someone who's muscular, they're defined, you know that they're very fit. That doesn't happen by accident, right? That person is intentional. They have a strategy. They have a plan. There's certain action steps that they take. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. Just passing of time doesn't cause you to become a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God. You, you can be serving Jesus for 50 years and be, the, the Bible talk, there's different instances where Paul will talk to people about being infants. You're like a baby. You still need milk. By this time, you ought to be teaching others, but you, you know what? You're still, you're still at infant level. It's not just passing of time. We don't just sit back and wait to grow stronger in the Lord. There are things that we can do. And I'm just trying to lay the foundation for this series to to stir up our hearts. You can grow stronger. You can grow stronger. There are things that we can do to grow stronger in the Lord. 
Daniel chapter 11, the second part of verse 32 says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong. So one way, one key way to grow stronger is to grow in our knowledge of God. You can can learn more about knowing God, right? You can grow stronger. One of the ways that we grow stronger is we grow in our knowledge of God. So a lack of strength in our life reveals what? A lack of strength reveals a lack of knowledge. Follow that? So if knowing God gives me strength, then wherever I'm weak, it represents an area where I don't know enough about God. Everywhere in my life where I'm ignorant of God, it represents an area where I am vulnerable. Where there's things that you don't know about God, it's an open area. You are vulnerable to attack. It's like, it's like a gap in your ignorance. And the more I know about God, the stronger I become. The less I know about God, the, the weaker I am. That's why the Bible says my people are destroyed. Why? For, for a lack of knowledge. But the people who know their God, well, they're strong. They're, they're okay. So when you've got ignorance in your life about God, it causes a weakness and a vulnerability. I'll, I'll share with you an example. When I was in, in high school, I was a teenager. I remember hearing somebody preach about unforgivable sins. I didn't understand everything that they were talking about. So whether it was a good message, a bad message, I don't know. But I know it it scared me to death. All I knew was that he said unforgivable sins. And then I became convinced that I had committed an unforgivable sin. And what what does that do to somebody when they fall into that mindset? Man, I, I was depressed. I was confused. I was angry. I thought, why even bother trying to serve the Lord? I've blown it, right? I was vulnerable to thoughts of, you know, at this point, you might as well just go all in on sin. You might as well just have a good time. I mean, you've already blown it with God. There's no use in pursuing him. You've crossed that line. You might as well just do whatever and enjoy what sin you can because you've blown it in your relationship with God. That was an area of ignorance that made me vulnerable to certain attacks from the enemy until I learned some things. I learned about God. I learned about his mercy. I learned about his grace. I learned about his forgiveness. I learned aspects of his character. And as I learned those things, it closed that vulnerability. So I'm not vulnerable in that area like I used to be vulnerable. And that's just an example you could, you could use examples like that in different areas of people's lives where you are ignorant on the character of God. It makes you weak. But the people who know their God, they'll be strong. So it says, in the day of adversity, if you, faint, if you fail, your, your strength is too small. Say, so you, you don't know God well enough. If you fail in the day of adversity, there's some things about God that you need, you need to learn. We need to grow in our knowledge of God. We can grow in our knowledge of God and simultaneously we're becoming strong. Not, not just knowing songs about God, not just knowing some Bible stories, knowing God, having genuine intimacy, real relationship with God. The people who know their God, not they know about their God, not they know about a God, they know their God. He's my God. I know him. Those people are strong people. Amen. We're going to get stronger and stronger. We're going, to learn, we're going to learn how to walk in God's ways. We're going to learn his character. That's what we're doing in this series. We're getting stronger. Now, in the next couple of minutes, I just want to share one key aspect before we get into ways that we grow stronger. One thing that has the ability to keep us from being able to make any kind of progress. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Second Peter chapter one, I get, uh, this is basic. We've talked about this before, but we build on the basics. We gain mastery on the basics. That, that's, how, that's how we grow and move forward. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse three, it says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. We'll keep reading, but it says that God has given us everything that we need. He's made everything you need, God has made available. But just because he's made it available doesn't mean that you are accessing it. It says that there is a way of receiving it. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this, how? By coming to know him. We access what he's made available as we grow in our knowledge of him. Verse four, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Uh, Again, God has enabled us. Just because you've been enabled to do something doesn't automatically mean that you do it. I'm, I'm able to do jumping jacks. I'm not doing them right now, right? Just because I'm able to do so, it doesn't happen automatically. God has enabled us to escape this world's corruption and human desires. There's a lot of Christians that don't, they've, they've been enabled to escape those things, right? You, you know people that haven't escaped what this passage says that God has enabled us to escape. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape this world's corruption. I know lots of Christians that have not escaped this world's corruption. They are corrupt. I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying I, I know them, right? Escape this world's corruption caused by human desires. So just because you've been enabled doesn't mean it automatically, it automatically happens. Look at this next verse. In view of all this, make every effort to respond. So it, God's made everything available. He's given you everything you need. He has enabled you. Now in view of that, now with that in mind, make effort. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen automatically. There's steps that you and I can take to grow stronger in the Lord. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You just keep growing and growing and adding and now, now you're more faithful and now you're more loving. Now you're more kind. Now you're more, it's talking about growing, getting stronger, advancing as a man or a woman of God. And the more that you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. Stronger, more productive, more fruitful. Jesus said in John 15, when we bear fruit, it brings glory to the Father. We can keep on growing stronger and more fruitful Verse nine, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. It says, but there are people that they don't develop like this. They don't follow that pattern. They don't just keep on getting stronger and stronger. Something holds them back. Something keeps them from advancing and growing and becoming more fruitful. It says that they've forgotten something. They've forgotten that they've been cleansed from their sins. Now, I know this is basic, but it's so important. It has the ability to keep you from growing. 
it'll keep you from advancing. It will keep you weak. It sounds good. It sounds religious to talk. Hey, I'm just a sinner. I struggle all the time. I know it it might sound good in a religious sense, but it's dangerous. It will keep you from being able to advance. People that have, it says they've forgotten they've been cleansed. You've forgotten it's not on your mind. They're not, they're no longer conscious. They're not aware. It's dangerous to not be aware. I'm cleansed. I'm clean. I'm righteous. I'm holy. It's a dangerous place to be. If you lose that awareness, you also lose the ability to move forward as a man or woman of God. That's what it says. People who don't advance like this, they don't grow. Here's the problem with them. They've forgotten that they've been cleansed. They've forgotten that they're clean. They don't don't know how holy and how righteous they are. Let let me read a story from John chapter 8. John chapter 8. They're they're not aware. The problem is people aren't aware. They're not conscious of how clean they are. They're not conscious of their righteousness, not conscious of their holiness. John chapter 8. Starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. This is like one of the best stories, isn't it? Jesus is always amazing. He's always wonderful. But in this story, it's like he just turns up the cool factor. I mean, people come and challenge him. He drops down. It's drawn in the sand. He's just so cool in this story. I love this story. Drops down, starts writing, starts writing in the dirt. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. She's having sex with a man that's not her husband. That's what's going on. They catch her in the act. Think about that. They catch her in the act. Don't think about it too much, but just get, get the... They catch her in the act, in the act of uh, adultery, right? And they drag her, and th- they're challenging Jesus. But this, this is like a, a climactic moment, right? This is raw. They've, they've drugged this woman nude, 
the act of, in the act of adultery, you just rip her out, throw her in front of a, in front of a crowd. There are times when the Pharisees challenge Jesus, but it, it's different. Lord, what if a, what if a woman remarries seven times in the resurrection? Or who, who do we pay taxes to Caesar? They challenge before. This, this is different, right? This isn't a, a make believe story. This isn't hearsay. We caught her. We drug her straight here. The law of Moses says one thing. Here, here this woman is. What do you say? It's like this head on Jesus. What do you say? This, this moment, it, it, it's, it's raw. There's emotion. There's all kinds of commotion. This is just an incredible, incredible moment, right? And they, they, they confront Jesus. And in that, that's when he drops down and starts writing in the dirt. Let me get some dirt. Poor Tom. It's like most of my illustrations just deal with me like dumping something on the floor. (laughs) Start maybe expanding my repertoire a little bit. All right, so Jesus, naked lady, commotion. Here's what the law says. Here's what, she's she's filthy. She's done something shameful. She's disgusting, this dirty whore. They're they're right on, on one sense that what they're saying about her is that she deserves to die. Accurate? But Jesus, what, what do you say? That's where he drops down. He starts writing in the dirt, right? Now, I've heard people talk about what he wrote in the dirt. And I've heard people come up with some, some impressive things. I've heard people say that what he was writing down there, he, he was writing the names of God. That's what he was writing. I've heard some people say that he was writing the Ten Commandments. Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments. I've, I've heard some people say that he was writing the sins of the people that were standing around, which that one would be kind of funny. St- Steve, does this mean anything to you? That, that's neat to think about, but really we don't know what he was writing, Right? But the fact that he was writing in the dirt with his finger, it's important because it mentions it. It would have just left it out. In fact, it mentions it twice. He drops down, he stands up, he, he, goes, back, he goes back to writing. So, so something important is happening here, but it, it doesn't tell us what he was writing. So what he was writing, I'm sure it was wonderful, I'm sure it was meaningful, but for whatever reason, that part is left out. So what must be important is not what he was writing, but that, that he was writing. So, so I was just thinking about this, right? What do you do when you write in the dirt? I mean, what is happening? What is the meaning? What's going on? It's not, it's not, it wasn't what he was writing. They would have told us. It's just that he, that he's right. What, what happens when you write in the dirt? Let's see if I can show you this here. So if I write in the dirt, get a little thinner here. So I write something, right? You've written in the dirt before. What, 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 I mean, just very simple. I'm sorry if this is too simple. What, what, what are you doing when you write in the dirt? Does anyone ever write, wash me on the back of your car? What are you doing? Very simply. You're moving away dirt to communicate a message, right? When you write in the dirt with your finger, 
You're simply moving dirt aside. You're removing the filth. Why? In order for a message to come through. Isn't that very simply what, what you're doing when you write in the dirt? When you write with your fa- write on a dirty window, write, write down as I was doing there. You're, just, you're clearing dirt aside in order to communicate a message. And that, that's what this whole story is about. Jesus, not choosing to focus on the dirt like the religious people did, not looking to condemn people, not looking to rub people's noses in their mistakes, but to move it aside for a message to come through. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That God's mercy, God's grace is so rich and so deep that there's nothing you could do that would ever separate you from his love. That, that's the message he wants to come through. And so he asks, verse, verse 10 again, Then Jesus stood up and said, where are your accusers? Doesn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I. Neither do I what? I don't, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. I'm not looking to accuse you. I'm not looking. That's the wonderful message we talked about last week, right? Second Corinthians chapter five, God's not looking to hold people's sins against them, but just get them out of that place and into relationship with himself. We miss it when we focus on sin, when we focus on a consciousness of how filthy we've been, how undeserving we are. He's giving us a message. I don't condemn you. I don't accuse you. That's not what I'm looking to do. And he says, now go and sin no more. This kind of attitude, it doesn't set people free to go in sin. It sets people free to grow in their walk with the Lord. Back, back to second Peter chapter one, people who forget that they're clean, it keeps them from growing. But when you know Jesus doesn't condemn you, Jesus isn't thinking about that thing you did when you were in college. That's not on his mind. It sets you free to move forward. It doesn't set you free to sin. It sets you free to grow. You know, this is so important that it's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John chapter 16, Jesus said that one of the things the Holy Spirit would do would be to convict of righteousness. Now we, we twist that around and we misunderstand it and we think that the Holy Spirit's job is just to let us know every mistake that we make. And just to, you're messing up there, not quite good enough. Should you really have done that? I don't think so. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that a whole lot of help? Most of us have that handled pretty good on our own. Feeling like trash about ourselves, aware of every mistake. He comes to convict. That word convict means to convince. To make it so somebody is certain of something. This past week, I was putting one of my daughters to bed. She said, sometimes when I'm doing stuff, I always feel like it's not good enough. I'm trying to be nice. There's like this voice that always tells me, not good enough. I'm always doing something wrong. I'm always making a mistake. It's never quite right. Is, is that the voice of the Holy Spirit? I'm at, it, in town, I'm on a brink of heartbreak just recounting the story. That, that's, that's what so many people's minds, so many people's walk with the Lord is, is like. Just, just walking with their head down, Holy Spirit just nagging them all the time. That's, that's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That, that's the, he's always accusing you, letting you know the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of righteousness, to convict you. You've been made, you know who you are? You know who you are, man of God, woman of God? clean, holy, washed in the blood to know I I am clean. I'm clean. I've been washed clean. That sets you free to grow. If we don't get that, it'll, it'll be something that snags us and never lets us progress 
And again, religious thinking, all kinds of nonsense can convince people, you know what, it's good to just be kind of aware how filthy and disgusting you are. You'll you'll stay right there. You've got to leave that behind to be able to, to move on. The devil wants to put people under condemnation, to condemn you, to condemn you. We were driving around just the other day, pointed out a few houses that were condemned, talking about it with our kids. Got yellow tape and little things in the window. It's been condemned. What if you got home from church today, hopped out of the car, went up the front steps, and your house had been condemned? Yellow tape, sticker on the window, condemned. That, that would be bad news, right? Why? Because you can't live there anymore. You can't stay there. You, you can't live in that house. Even though it was built for you to live in, even though it was built to keep you warm, to keep you dry, for your family to spend time in, have a safe place to to sleep, enjoy time together. When it's come under condemnation, it's no longer able to do the things that it was made to do. You've got to take it through a process to remove that mark of being condemned, to free it up, to do what it was built originally to be able to do, to be able to provide what it was meant to provide. The same thing is true in our lives. When we allow the enemy to bring us under condemnation, it keeps us from doing the things that you were made to do, that you were built to do. You you were made, we we just read it, to to share the same nature as God, to grow in his likeness, to keep growing stronger to share intimacy, to know Jesus and to walk with him. That's what you were made to do. But if you come under condemnation, you can't do the things you were designed to do. We don't have time to look at the story. Most of you are familiar with it. The woman that came to wash Jesus' feet. She's washing his feet. The religious people in the room just knew what a tramp she was, what a dirty sinner. Surely if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, He wouldn't wouldn't let her touch his feet. I know that much. And Jesus corrects them. And one of the things he said is those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Now we can understand that in, in one, just the quantity, much. She's done a lot of bad things, but also the level of forgiveness that's received. Because some of us were forgiven, we accept we know God forgives us, but not thoroughly, not completely. If some of us are honest, even though we're serving the Lord, we we confess my sins, I know I'm clean. It's like we carry a residue. It's just a little bit of that residue of the, the kind of guy I used to be. And even though I love the Lord and I'm serving him, there's still, still a little bit, of, man, I wasted a lot of years. Just still a little bit ashamed of who I've been, what I've done, right? Anybody? There's a little bit of, he was forgiven much, forgiven thoroughly, forgiven all the way, completely clean. No matter what, I've, I've done some terrible things. You've done some terrible things, but just, to, just to, they love much. I'm so clean. I'm so clean, right? To, just to, to let God wash us thoroughly, to fully accept forgiveness. I'm so, I'm so clean. I'm so holy. I'm so right just to be amazed at the work that God has done in us. It causes us to respond. Those, who, those who've been forgiven much, forgiven all the way, forgiven thoroughly. No, no, no residue, no little bit of shame that we keep just to you know, keep our feet on the ground. No, forgiven much. They love, it sets you free. So if the enemy can keep us from really accepting God's forgiveness, what else does he accomplish? He keeps us from loving the Lord the way that we want to love the Lord. He can prevent you from, even though you want to love God, 
Pastor Jonathan leads us. People are singing, going for it. Man, I, I love to love God like that. Just can't stir it up, can't muster it up. Well, if you just let God forgive you much, forgive you all the way, just start thinking, I'm so clean. I'm so clean. Not because of what I've done. Jesus, he's made me so clean. I fall deeper in love with Jesus and it sets me free to grow stronger. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna receive communion this morning. You guys can go ahead and begin distributing communion. As those buckets come around, you can just hold on. We'll receive communion together. In just a couple of minutes. pass that out. Let me read you from Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse one, it says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. So in context, he's comparing the sacrifice of Jesus, drawing parallels, contrasting it with the Old Testament sacrifices, the way that he used to bring a lamb, the the sacrifices that they made in the Old Temple. And it's talking about how those sacrifices weren't, weren't complete. They had to keep doing them on and on. It it didn't make them perfect. And then he says this in verse two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. Those old sacrifices weren't effective because even though people offered them, they still had this awareness of how sinful they were. They could go and offer that sacrifice and be forgiven, but they kept living their life with this consciousness, I am sinful. That takes us back to 2 Peter chapter one, where it talks about they... They've forgotten. They're not conscious that they've been cleansed of their sins. We've got to allow the blood of Jesus to give us a consciousness of how clean we are. I'm so clean. I'm so clean. There's nothing between me and Jesus. I'm so clean. And that, that allows us to grow. To allow the blood of Jesus to destroy a sin consciousness. Always aware of those mistakes you've made. Always aware of how you've blown it in the past. Just allow the blood of Jesus to separate you once and for all. And to perfect you in the eyes of the Father. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.